Welcome to Season 2 of The Straight and Marrow, a podcast that discusses all things allogeneic bone marrow transplant, from pre-transplant considerations to survivorship, using experiences of healthcare professionals, patients and carers, with current evidence to keep it straight. The Straight and Marrow is sponsored by Arrow, the Bone Marrow Transplant Foundation. Arrow's mission is to improve the survival and quality of life for bone marrow transplant patients and to provide support for carers. Hello, welcome Ashvind, welcome back. Thanks everyone, thanks for having me back again. So where have you been for the last couple of years? So a few things have happened. So last time I think I told everyone that I'm a BMT fellow uh, and haematologist currently doing PhD and fellowship in allergenetic transplantation through Royal Melbourne Hospital, Peter Mac and the ACRF laboratory. So I've just submitted my PhD and passed with some revisions. Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, great. And I'm going to be starting a job at the Austin as a BMT physician and haematologist. But also I spent some time overseas in the US at the National Institutes of Health in the Hematopoiesis and Bone Marrow Failure Laboratory, doing a bit of research over there and getting some more experience. So that was uh, really good as well. Oh, that's really interesting. I'm glad you're back. Um, hopefully we can entice you back from the Austin eventually. Thank you. I hope to be back. Yeah. <laughs> it will be a shame to lose you. Thank you. Thank you. So today we wanted to grow on our most popular podcast episode and kind of talk about what happens from discharge from hospital up to day 100, to day 100 and beyond. Great. Yeah. So I just thought it's a really interesting topic and definitely uh, something that's important, the post-after-acute stays care. I'll launch into a whole spiel about it, but I just thought the first caveat I'd give all the listeners is this this can differ from institution to institution. The, the nuts and bolts are essentially the same, but the frequency at which you'd be seen, there may be some nuances and individuality in, in different institutions. So that's the first thing I'll just say to kind of frame what I'm going to launch into next. This is very heavily influenced by how we perform our post-allergenetic transplant care at Peter Mac and Royal Melbourne. The first thing I just want to say is that there's there's three, I guess, sorry, four main purposes for after acute stay care. We'll be seeing you quite frequently after your acute admission, essentially to monitor for any potential infections, monitoring for any graft-versus-host disease, We'll also be looking out for any potential signs that the initial disease that you were transplanted for may be relapsing. And then lastly, one thing that it's a universal and and very common problem is there are a lot of medications that you'll be on Mm. after your transplant and it is hard. It's hard to take all of these drugs and we'll just be sort of trying to encourage you and get you through it as best we can, but also... A lot of these drugs are associated with pretty significant complications, um, which I'll talk about more specifically later on. It's just about trying to monitor for those complications and adjust any potential dosages that we can to kind of help you through taking all of these medications. And Ashvind, that actually links in nicely with another podcast we recorded in season one, um, where we spoke to a transplant pharmacist Mm. who went through the typical medications that patients 
taking after transplants. So yeah. um, if anyone's interested, please see that one as well. Great. It's, and it's a lot of tablets. And sometimes it feels like you're taking tablets because you're taking tablets. Mm. Yeah, it's um, it yeah, it's a lot of medication, and for a lot of people who who may have come to transplant, they've never had any experience with taking medications mm. in their entire life. So it's yeah, it's kind of going from zero to a hundred, um, to use that. Yeah. To day one hundred. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <So>. <laughs> like I mentioned before, there's the the four things that we're monitoring for are infections, graft versus host disease potential signs of relapse and any complications of um, the medications that you're on. I'll start with what the post-transplant care will kind of look at. So frequently it'll be after after we discharge you from hospital, I, I kind of reassure patients that just because you're leaving hospital doesn't mean that we won't be keeping a close eye on you. It's not that you'll, you'll be on your own uh, once you leave. So we'll be monitoring you both with inpatient assessments, so coming into hospital uh, being reviewed in the clinic, but also in combination with these inpatient assessments, there'll be quite frequent blood tests to monitor for all of these four things. The first thing I'll talk about is infections. So you're quite vulnerable and susceptible to infections after leaving hospital. That'll be a result of the chemotherapy that you had as part of your transplantation, but also some of the medications that we give you suppress the immune system because we want to prevent graft-versus-host disease and and a lot of those medications suppress the immune system to prevent graft-versus-host disease, but one of the side effects is that we also increase your susceptibility to infections. There's a couple of infections that we're particularly interested in from day 30 to day 100, and these are CMV and Epstein-Barr virus or EBV. It's a common virus that causes glandular fever. Um, which and you by may... CMV, you mean cytomegalovirus. Sorry, yes, yeah, yeah cytomegalovirus. Yeah. We like so, an acronym. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we do in BMT. There you go, BMT. So you're still, even though the like the patients engrafted, they have neutrophils, so they're still vulnerable despite the fact that they've, you know, their neutrophils are greater than 0.5. Yeah, correct. So if you've ever had a look at your own blood tests, looking at the white blood cell count, it's actually encompasses of different types of cells that have different roles in the immune system. So just very broadly, neutrophils kind of protect us against bacterial infections and they're often the cause of fevers in the first 30 days when your neutrophil count is zero, essentially, and that risk reduces as your neutrophil count comes out. And of course, that's one of the kind of barriers that you have to step to eventually get out of hospital in the first 30 days. After that, there are specific white cells called lymphocytes and they form our defences against common viral infections and viruses that they're infectious agents that cause the common cold, common respiratory viruses that people are more susceptible to in winter. But the thing about these two viruses, CMV and EBV, there's two stages as stages to the infections. So there's the primary infection. Most of us see these viruses either in childhood or early adulthood. And after that primary infection, they don't leave, they kind of hang around, but they're always under control if you've got a functioning immune system. So they establish something we call latency. It means that they're there, but they're not causing problems. Mm. After transplantation, as I mentioned before, you receive quite a lot of therapy to suppress the immune system. So the natural kind of surveillance against these latent viruses are removed. 
And that means that they can establish themselves, they can replicate, they can cause problems. The aim of post-transplant care is that we, we have a method of kind of monitoring for the levels of these viruses and how active they are and treat them before you experience any manifestations of them. So to to kind of describe what you may experience, so symptomatic CMV, so CMV that may cause problems, it can cause inflammation in the gut, in the eyes and the liver. Um, And ideally we want to head that off and stop the viruses from replicating to a point where you experience those symptoms by using blood tests and treating you before before you experience any of those, um, we call them end organ manifestations of the disease. Mm. So that's that's part of the reason why we like to see you, we like to test for the level of those viruses in the blood. If it looks like they reach a certain threshold, we'll start some sort of treatment for the viral infection and make sure that those viral levels come down before you experience any problem from the, the viruses themselves. Yep. Yep. And so how long are people at risk of developing those sorts of viruses like CMV and EBV? In a sense, it's a little bit of a complicated question because the bare bones of it, your risk is highest in the first 100 days and that's mainly because you're on certain medications to prevent graft-versus-host disease. So provided we can wean back those medications, you don't experience graft-versus-host disease, your risk after that is very, very low. It's probably maybe slightly higher than the normal population, but it's in realistically you won't experience any problems with those viruses. If, if you experience graft-versus-host disease and we need to increase the amount of treatment to suppress your immune system to remove any manifestations of graft-versus-host disease, your risk is still high and we'll still monitor you for those infections whilst you're on treatment for the graft-versus-host disease. So, so if everything goes routinely, after the first 100 days, the risk definitely reduces. But if there is any increase in your medications, that risk is ongoing. It's like a bit of a balancing act. I'm thinking of it as a bit of a seesaw. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So at one hand, we're trying to suppress the immune system and the bad parts of the immune system that are causing the graft-versus-host disease. But equally, we, we don't have tailored tools to kind of get rid of the bad with the good. So you, yep. you reduce your parts of the immune system that are also necessary for keeping these viruses under control. And that's a really important point because obviously, I mean, you mentioned that there's four major components for monitoring around, you know, this day 100 and beyond or up to day 100 period but in fact all of those four things are interrelated aren't correct they? yeah yeah that's right that's absolutely right so it is a, a very tricky balancing act for all of those things the next thing i just wanted to cover is about graft versus host disease so that's something i think a lot of you would have been counseled about upon agreeing to go ahead with this transplant it's definitely one of the most significant complications of transplantation. So graft-versus-host disease, just to kind of remind you all, it's your donor immune system recognising parts of your own body as foreign from itself and engaging an immune response. And it tends to be, at least within the first 100 days, it falls under the category of acute graft-versus-host disease. It tends to be in parts of the body that have a very intense and very close relationship with the outside world because you can imagine any part of your body with the outside world, it commonly is 
encountering viruses, bacteria, a lot of things that the immune system needs to have a stable presence in. And if you can imagine that in the post-transplant period, that immune presence is still there and it can cause inflammation and graft-versus-host disease at these parts. So the examples I usually give are the skin, the lung, the gut. So that can go anywhere from your mouth to your anus, so that the full the full um, length of the gut and also your lungs. So they're, they're areas that have common interactions with the outside world, a lot of immune activity, and hence they're usually the places that are affected by graft-versus-host disease. So we'll be doing clinical assessments to look for you know, any shortness of breath in if, if it's affecting your lungs, any diarrhoea or nausea that may give us an indication that it may be graft-versus-host disease that's affecting your bowel, and then also any rashes to give us indication that it's graft-versus-host disease that might be affecting your skin um, as well. So if, if we see any of that, we might uh, say, oh, we, we'll, we'll try some extra therapy on top of medications that you're taking for your graft-versus-host disease prevention. And most commonly that's a steroid, and so prednisolone, which you may or may not have come across um, previously. And steroids suppress the immune system and is our first-line therapy for graft-versus-host disease. We may try and perform further investigations. So if you're having quite a lot of diarrhoea, we suspect it's graft-versus-host disease, but we also want to make sure it's not an infection. So we may take a sample of your stool or your poo that you're passing to make sure that it's not an infection. And if that doesn't reveal any potential cause, we may admit you to hospital and do a colonoscopy, which is a a camera up the bum to look for signs of graft-versus-host disease. And then once we do that, we may start treatment after that as well. Patients can get quite frightened, maybe like vigilant about every single skin manifestation potentially being graft-versus-host disease, but are there other causes for rashes post-transplant? Yeah, there's there's heaps. It's a good point, Alex. So, I mean, that's, that's part of the reason why we need to keep a close eye on you after you leave hospital. It's partly to assess the, anything new that comes up so we can talk you through what we're potentially thinking might be the cause of the rash. But also, yeah, there's heaps of other potential causes. So definitely skin infections is one and we can we can make that assessment. The other thing is, yeah, you're on a lot of medications and they can cause, I guess, reactions in the skin as well. And we may say that looks like a, a drug reaction. We may reduce one of your medications or cease it completely and see whether... Um, that changes things, but that that's this is part of the reason why we need to see you and make those assessments. Mm. As well. And would you think there there are some other triggers of you know certain organ graft versus host disease, like particularly insults, like um, you know respiratory virus infection to lung graft versus host disease, or you know um, gastrointestinal um, you know viruses you know associated with gut graft versus host disease or, you know, even sunburns with skin. Yeah, there's, you're, you're absolutely right, Ming. So, you know, there's increasing evidence and it's been established in previous cohort studies as well that if you, if you get something that activates the immune system at those particular sites, it can increase your risk of graft versus host disease. We do recommend in this early period is, you know, from the point of view of sunburn and, and just being very vigilant about being sun smart while, and, and that goes even post the first 100 days. 
and looking after, you know, kind of covering up in the sun, wearing sunscreen, being really vigilant about those things. Um, slip, slop, slap. Yeah. Correct. Slip, Slide, slop, slap. Yeah. Seek. <laughs> oh, there's a few S's Slide now. on the sunglasses, seek shade. Yep, yep, great. Yep. Okay. No, that's, that's, I think that's really good advice. In terms of respiratory viruses, um, I think particularly if you're having a winter transplant, being really vigilant about staying away from crowds, crowded areas, people who may be, may, may have a respiratory virus as well is really important. And food hygiene in the, in the first 100 days as well. So trying to eat well-cooked foods that you can kind of vouch for the quality prepared at home is, yeah. is really important. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So one of the um, one of the other transplant team gave me two guidelines to food advice to transplant patients. And he said, be the first person to open it. So be that the jar of mayonnaise, the little thing of yogurt and heat it up completely. So if you want the salami, have it on a pizza. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, people can present with something non-specific or doesn't necessarily identify what the outcome is or the diagnosis is. So, for example, fever. Fever could be infection or it could be a presentation with something else, That's another right. symptom yeah. of graft versus host disease. Yeah. So, you know, always seek advice. Correct. And also I suppose a really good message for people is that it is, you know, it does seem pretty intense in that first 100 days where you feel like you're always coming into hospital and always speaking to medical professionals, but it does get better. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that's and, right. And, and yeah. it's kind yeah. of, you know, it's that early intensity for longer term gain I suppose yes that, that, that's right that's yeah. a, that's absolutely right yeah. yeah and yeah keeping that goal in mind I think is a, is a really important and positive way to kind of sustain your own motivation yeah, yeah absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. whilst so, recognizing that it absolutely is very a very difficult time correct for yeah. yeah yeah I, I completely agree Thanks for listening and hope you've enjoyed the podcast as much as we have. Just a reminder that although our straight and married team are experienced healthcare professionals, we are unable to give individual medical advice. If you have a medical query, please speak to your treating team. See you next time at the Straight and Marrow and don't forget to subscribe to receive podcast updates. And for more information about Arrow, the Bone Marrow Transplant Foundation, go to arrow.org.au.